Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And now the title of our study this morning is At the Cross, At the Cross. Here we have an amazing thing. Two person, two people meet at a well. It was one of those typical hot, dry, dusty days in the Middle East, and two people meet at a well. Two people who come from totally opposite directions, two people who come from opposite peoples that never speak to each other, to people who come from opposite ways of life, to people who come with different desires in their heart. And these two people who are infinitely far apart from each other coincide or come together at this well. And a conversation takes place on which, on the surface, the conversation seems to be mundane. I mean, they're only talking about the well and the thirst they both had and the water that seemingly they both were trying to drink, they wanted to drink. That's all. It was just a simple conversation about a well, thirst, and water. It was just, it was just mundane, nothing, nothing complicated, very simple, very, very normal conversation. But it was not really a simple conversation about a well, thirst, and water, because what we're going to see is that each of them, each of them use this conversation to speak at a much deeper level, heart to heart. And the simple conversation transcended the mundane well, thirst, and water, and it became a much more profound, deeper conversation. And before you know it, there's two conversations going on. There's a conversation on the surface, and then there's a deep conversation. Now, we see here in verse 5 and 6, the Lord's tired, and he comes to a well. It's amazing for us to read this. The Lord Jesus Christ is tired. Because when we see him coming to this well, we know he's tired. His disciples have gone to get um, food, so he's hungry, comes to a well, he's thirsty. You know what it reminds us about the Lord Jesus? He was, as it says in Hebrews 4.15, he was made in all points, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. That's what makes him the great high priest for us, because he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, and there he is, being touched with the feelings of infirmities. And why was he that way? Because it says in Philippians 2.7 that this was something that he did to himself. It says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men who get tired and men who get hungry and men who get thirsty. 
And we see him here, and he's tired, and he's thirsty, and he's hungry at this well. And this well is called here in the Greek, pagai, which means uh, like a gushing fountain. That's what it means. It means a gushing fountain. That's what it says. It says, and it talks about him coming to a well. It says the word means a gushing fountain. And then in verse 7, we read, there cometh a woman. So just as he's sitting down, exhausted, there cometh a woman to draw water. Immediately, we see him here, energized, totally forgetting about his tiredness, totally forgetting about how hungry he is, totally forgetting about how thirsty he is. Why? Because there cometh a woman of Samaria. What did he see when he saw the woman of Samaria? He didn't just see a woman of Samaria. He saw a woman of Samaria that was sent to him by the Father. He saw a woman of Samaria that his father had made an appointment with him to meet this woman of Samaria there. And so everything changed. And suddenly he loses all of this feelings of tiredness and hunger and thirst because now he, he was just as excited as he was when he was 12 years old. And he said to his parents, I must be about my father's business. And here with this woman of Samaria coming is the father's business. A soul that he could seek to save is now in front of him. And so he's energized with this. And what we see the master doing, what we see the Savior doing here is to approach this very broken soul. This very, this was a woman that if you shook her, you could hear her rattle. She was broken inside, and he knew that. And he didn't want to frighten her by coming on too strong. What we see in this picture is the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We see him, he was the perfect servant of the Lord. And Paul told Timothy in second in first. 2 Timothy 2.24, he said, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Here we see him being gentle to this woman, teaching her, and patient. And so we see him here with this broken woman at the well. And he says to her in verse 7, Give me to drink. He says, Give me to drink. The Lord speaks to this woman with a gentleness, but yet with an authority when he says, give me to drink. On the surface of, the con- of this conversation that they're having here, it just appears that he's only asking for a drink of water. They're, they're, it doesn't seem so complicated. He just asked for a drink of water. But what we're going to see here as this develops is that the, a direction is going to unfold in front of us. He's got a purpose in mind. He's like, he, he, he's, he's like a, a hunting dog. He puts his nose to it, and he knows exactly where he's going. He's got great direction here. Because but on the surface, he says, give me to drink. But below the surface of that, he's not asking for water. We see in verse 23 of what we read that he's looking for her worship. He is the Father seeketh such to worship him. So he's looking to drink from the worship of her spirit. Now, verse 9 comes along, and she said, how is it? She says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for, the, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Again, 
on the surface of the conversation here, it just appears that she's asking a simple question. She's only asking why he, as a Jew, is speaking to her as a Samaritan, because Jews don't speak to Samaritans. But below the conversation, below her question, he reads her heart, and he sees that she's asking, are you more than just a Jew? Are you more than just a Jew? The, f- the father has sent her to the Savior because the father saw the yearnings of her heart. The father heard the cries of her despair. And the, f- the father has sent her to the Savior. And now below the surface, this question, how is it that thou being a Jew asks of me? She's really asking, are you more than just a Jew? Are you more? And then in verse 10, he responds to her and he says, he speaks about the gift of God. And he speaks about a special water. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. On the surface, it appears as though he's speaking about some special water. Maybe it's in a lower depth down there in the well. Or maybe he knows about another well. And some special water is called living water. All water gives life, after all. It just has seemed that. And, and somehow, he can retrieve this water. And all she has to do is ask. And if she only knew. But that was just on the surface of the gentle master. And below the surface, he's saying, yes, I am more than just a Jew. I am the gift of God. And I have water to make you alive from the deadness in your soul. And the problem is, he said, you don't know. You don't know that I am the gift of God. You don't know that I have living water to, 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 for your dead soul. You don't know that I am willing to give you this water. And you don't know that all you have to do is ask. That's what you have to do is ask. And then in verse 11, she goes on and she says, the woman saith, sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? So, on the surface, again, it appears as that she's saying, where are you going to get that living water? And how are you going to get it? You don't have anything to draw with. And furthermore, this well is very deep. It's a big problem, and there's nothing in your hand. Now she's beginning to abandon the surface talk. As she's moving closer, we can see through the gentleness of his approach to her, she's coming out. She's coming out, and she's speaking directly now, heart to heart, when she's saying, from whence then hast this water? Where is it? Because now, below the conversation, she's crying out to the Savior that the obstacles in her life, she's saying, the, because here, what we have to understand is that in verse 6, she's using a different word for well. Than, than was described as what the well is. She's, she's not using the word pagai, which means the gushing fountain. Now she's using a new word for our, which means a deep hole in the ground, like an abyss, a deep hole. And so what is she saying? She's saying, you know, I've tried to satisfy myself. I've tried to satisfy, satisfy my soul with the water of religion. And below the ground, it has not worked for me because I can't do it. I can't keep the standard. I can't walk the walk. I, my life and religion, they don't mix. 
That's not me. I'm not religious. She's saying, I can't pass the test. I can't do all the things that I'm supposed to do. I don't even know which mountain I'm supposed to worship on. That's how bad a religion I am. So the water of religion, what she's saying here, it's just too deep. It's too deep and it's too inaccessible for me because she's saying religion is not for me. And then verse 12, she brings up the issue of Jacob. She's heard him speaking to her heart. She knows that it's no longer necessary to, to resort to this surface conversation about the well and the thirst and the water. So now she's coming out more. And she says in verse 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children as cattle? So she, now she's venturing out and she says, are you more than just a Jew? Are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than Jacob? When she says Jacob drank from the well, we can hear her say, Jacob, because they knew the history of Jacob, Jacob had a life of knowing God. Jacob had a life of being a friend of God. Jacob had a life of having his sins forgiven by God. But I've never drunk from that well I've never drunk from the well of knowing God. I've never drunk from the well of being a friend of God. I've never drunk from the well of having my sins forgiven. So she's asking him, are you greater than Jacob? Are you the God of Jacob? Are you the one that Jacob knew? Are you the one that Jacob was a friend to? Are you the one that forgave Jacob's sins? Can you help me? That's coming through now. And now we come in verses 14 and 13 and 14, and the Lord now draws a contrast. Now, now the conversation has changed because now he can point to the contrast of the water, which they first were speaking about on the surface conversation, to now the water that these really they're both talking about, which is the water to satisfy the soul. And so she speak, he speaks directly to her, and now he says this. He says in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever shall drink, notice of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well, and there's that gushing water word, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So now the Savior's saying to the woman, she's saying, look, you keep coming back here. And just like you keep coming back, and maybe you're so thirsty and you drink this water, and maybe you say to yourself, oh, I'm never going to be thirsty again. I'm drinking so much water. And then you're thirsty again, and you keep coming back. He said, the water in this well is like the water of the world. It promises to quench your thirst, but you just keep getting thirsty. This, the world has promised to quench your soul's thirst, but you just keep getting thirsty. But I'll give you water that will quench your eternal thirst or your thirst for eternity, and you'll have water in you that'll not only quench your eternal thirst, he says, but it'll quench the eternal thirst of others too. It'll be a water that's gushing out for others, everlasting life. Then in verse 15, the woman has heard him say, in verse 10, that all she has to do is just ask. Just ask. You heard that. So she says in verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. So great. Oh, he said, all you have to do is ask for the water. She's asked for the water. Everything's perfect, right? And the Lord raises this obstacle. In verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. 
A woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, oh, you said that one true. That was true. That was true. I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. And that thou says, truly, the woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So what's going on here? The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, before you can have this living water, you must be brought face to face with your sin. It has to be dealt with. There'll be no help for this woman unless she allows the Savior to disclose her secret shame inside of her. She's defiled that body of hers by drinking from the water of this world. She knew it was wrong to see the lust of those men and marry them as they promised to love her. And then she watched each one of them use her to satisfy their lusts, and then one by one, they dumped her. She knew it was wrong to marry those same men as they were promising to never leave her, but then she watched each one of them walk out the door. And she knew it was wrong to marry those men as they promised to care for her and to protect her, but then one by one, they cast her off into the gutter of life. And she knew it was wrong when she gave up marriage finally, and just let this man defile her now. She knew it was wrong without going through marriage, but she was tired now. She was tired of that kind of life. And so what she was saying here was that in verse 15, she says, I don't want to keep coming here to keep drawing, to neither come I hither to draw. I don't want to keep coming here. I know we're talking about the world. I know we're talking about the false promises that the world has let me down, and I believe the lie. And I don't want to keep coming. What can you do for me? I don't want to keep doing the same sin all the time. I don't want to keep looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what she's saying. I don't want to keep looking for care and protection and for security and companionship in all the wrong places anymore. What can I do? And the Savior turns her to face her sin. He he, he turns her to, you you have to confront it. You have to confess it. You have to forsake it. You have to label it, frame it. As God told Israel to do in Hosea, frame your doings and frame them and then put a sign over the frame that says wrong. Because if she didn't confront her sin, if she didn't confess her sin, he couldn't help her. He could not help her. Why? Because he came to save sinners. So then she jumps now in verse 24 and she has a question and she says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation, and it's literally the salvation, the Jesus, the Yeshua. The salvation is from the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Her question is, very simply in our language, what's the right religion? And the answer is, verse 23, all those are outward. Verse 23 says, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, the right religion is no religion. That's what he's saying. You know, in my case, I lost my religion when I found the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I lost my Judaism when I found the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like I lost my religion when I found the Lord Jesus Christ, people, some people need to lose their religion to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just as I lost Judaism, when I found the Lord Jesus Christ, some people need to lose their Catholic, their Baptist, their Lutheran, their Seventh-day Adventist, and all the other religions to find the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. But the Lord Jesus Christ told this woman that he was the gift of God. He was the gift of God. And that this living water was available to her as the gift of God. And where was this gift of God given? you turn to one over to John 3, 14. John 3, 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gift of God, which is eternal life, Jesus Christ our Lord, the gift of God was given when he was lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Where did that happen? At the cross. The gift of God was given at the cross. It says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that salvation is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Where were we saved? At the cross. At the cross. Where did God give us this great gift of salvation? At the cross. So what does it mean for us? Here we are this morning, Communion Sunday. And as we come to the Lord's table to eat the broken bread and to drink the poured out wine, Let's remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the woman. Let's remember the words that he said to the woman. Let's remember them to ourselves this morning when he said, give me to drink. Give me to drink. He longed for the worship of her soul when he said, the Father seeketh such to worship him. Let's hear the Lord Jesus say to each one of us, the Father is seeking you. To worship him. Give me to drink. As we reach our hand out this morning and we take that cup, let's hear him say to us, give me to drink. Give me to drink. And let's give him this morning the worship that he's worthy of and the worship that we can give him. Let's not turn him away thirsty this morning, thirsty for the worship of our heart. Let's, 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 let's give him to drink. And just as that woman could not worship in spirit and in truth until she first was brought face to face with her sin, until she allowed the Savior to disclose her secret shame to her, and then she confessed that he was a prophet, forsook it. Just as that woman could not give God the worship he desired, she could not give him to drink until she let the Savior deal with her sin. Let's do that this morning also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your gentleness, Lord Jesus, and how you dealt with this woman. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching, your patience, and Lord, that we would say this morning, shall have right now my soul, my all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.